Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to study your word. We thank you for another opportunity to be instructed by your word. We thank you that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, there's hope. And there's an opportunity for change in our hearts and our minds, Lord. I'm not sure... While we're here this morning, Lord, we're not sure all the situations that so many of our people are coming out of, Lord, but we know that you know. And Lord, I just pray you would convey to them right now that there's hope even in this struggle. So Lord, I pray you would speak truth to us through your word. I pray you would speak clarity, Lord, and understanding and conviction. And through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, I pray that you would transform us more into the image of your son Jesus Christ it's in his precious name that we pray amen I want to begin this morning by by reading a passage from Genesis chapter 12 and I don't want you to turn I just want you to listen it's the account of the Lord's call upon Abram or who would become known as Abraham and I want you to listen to what the Lord says I want you to listen to how the Lord phrases this to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. In other words, you need to leave everything and just start walking. (laughs) I'm going to tell you when you get there, verse 2. I, this is the Lord speaking, will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. And I will curse, excuse me, let me start off in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I want you to notice something about what the Lord says here. Everything that is done for Abram is done because of who the Lord is. It's not done because of Abraham. The Lord says, I am going to show you. I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to bless you. The point of this text is that God is going to do everything for Abraham. He's going to make his name great. And the scripture tells us actually that because of who the Lord is working through Abraham, that eventually every person on earth, the Bible tells us, will be blessed. So here's the little nugget of truth we pull from those first three verses of Genesis chapter 12. Every blessing we receive comes from the Lord. Now, I think that's difficult for us to understand sometimes. It's difficult for us to think through because we struggle sometimes with the blessings of life. And we begin to wonder and ask ourselves the question, you know, I I know the Lord blessed Abraham, and I know the Lord blessed Moses, and I know, and on and on the list goes, but is the Lord blessing me today? I mean, what does is, what is the blessing of the Lord really look like in my life if I'm kind of thinking through this a little bit? How do I know that I'm actually blessed? Do I know I'm blessed because I have good wealth? Is that, is that the way I measure a blessing? Maybe so. Do I know I'm blessed because I've got a really good job? Or a good education? Do I know I'm blessed because I have all these opportunities in life? What does it really look like When the Lord blesses me. And so we're going to examine a text of scripture this morning that's going to help us understand exactly what a true blessing looks like. And I think 
you're going to be surprised. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is week 2 of our sermon series that we're calling Upside Down. And the reason we're calling it Upside Down and the reason we've given you this visual reminder is because our study over the next many weeks of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, our study in the Sermon on the Mount is going to challenge us, it's going to convict us, and it's going to make us recognize that the Lord teaches us to be different from the world. In fact, if we were honest with ourselves, the Lord teaches us that we need to really live upside down. Because the standards by which the Lord calls us to live are very different standards than how the world calls us to live. And one of the things we're going to be doing throughout this series is offering family devotions. I think there's some on the table back here and maybe there's some in the back. And we're going to challenge you as families to take one of these little sheets, to go home with one of these little sheets... And at some point during the week, have a conversation with your family, with your children, with your grandchildren, whoever it may be, about exactly who the Lord is and exactly what the Lord is doing for you. And there's one of the challenges of the family devotion that I'm going to talk to you about today, and it's on the little sheet, you'll see it, is I'm going to challenge every family to memorize the Beatitudes over the next several weeks. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. Now be careful adults, moms and dads. If you're not careful, your kids will outrun you to the, mem- to, the, to the memory verse. They'll outrun you to memorizing and they'll make you look silly. So you better get on the stick and you better start studying and reading through it with your kids. One of the best ways to memorize verses with your children is to read over them over and over again. Because as you begin to read it out loud, they begin to say it with you. And the more you read it, the more they say it. And the more they say it, the more they memorize it. So I'm going to encourage you to spend some time in family devotions this week. I'm going to encourage you to memorize the Beatitudes as we walk through this together. This morning, we're going to be studying in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. These are known as the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are basically a Latin word for blessing. And the reason these are called blessings is because every one of these verses, beginning verse 3, begins with the word blessed. And what we're going to see in our study today and the next week, we're going to kind of divide the Beatitudes into two different weeks, is that these Beatitudes, these blessings, are going to form for us a spiritual foundation that we're going to build upon later in this sermon series. So let's read through the Beatitudes this morning, Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 12, and we're going to focus this morning on the first four Beatitudes. So I read from the book of Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. I think we have it on the screens. Blessed... Now again, the Lord has already walked up. Christ has already walked up on the sermon on the mountainside. He's preaching to the disciples. The followers have gathered around him. He's going to teach them how they should live. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, as you're going to see throughout this study, and especially today and next week, the Lord's idea of a blessing and our idea of a blessing oftentimes are vastly different. And so we're going to spend some time this Sunday and the next walking through individually each one of these blessings to try to understand what we can glean, what the Lord's teaching us, and how the Lord is challenging us to live our lives upside down. Here's the first one we're going to look at, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now each verse begins with the word blessed. And so I thought we ought to take just a couple of minutes and make sure we understand kind of what a blessing is and what a blessing looks like. Because for most of us, we say that we're blessed when things go our way. And so maybe you say something like this. You know, we've come into a lot of money over the last several months, and so we just really feel blessed of the Lord. Or you may say something like this. I finally got that promotion at work. I'm truly blessed. Or my family is healthy, or my marriage is strong. I'm really sensing the blessing of the Lord upon us. And now let's be very clear. All those things certainly can be blessings of the Lord. The Lord can bless us in a variety of ways. But all of those things have something in common. They're all based on external circumstances, aren't they? Now here's what we don't usually hear people saying. I lost half of my money in the stock market recently. Wow, am I blessed. I just lost my job yesterday. Man, is the Lord blessing me. My marriage is in shambles. My home life is terrible. I am truly blessed. You see, for most people, we only sense blessing if things are going our way based on external circumstances. But see, Christ is going to kind of turn our world upside down in this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5. Because he's going to show us very clearly that your blessings aren't always based on external circumstances. Instead, they're based on your walk with Christ. And there is a Big difference. John MacArthur said it like this. He kind of summarized it nicely. He says, To be blessed is not a superficial feeling of well-being based on circumstances, but a deep, supernatural experience of contentness based on the fact that one's life is right with God. See, true blessing... And true joy comes only from abiding in Christ. And if you're truly blessed, then you can find joy even in the worst of circumstances. But Christ is going to give us some specifics here. So, for example, in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's think through what Christ is saying here to us. The first thing I think we need to understand is he's not talking about spiritual poverty. Excuse me, he's not talking about physical poverty. He's instead thinking here about spiritual poverty. That's exactly what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, that's interesting. That word poor, the way it's used there in the original Greek, meant something beyond just being a little bit poor. 
It was beyond just having to scratch by for a living. What it meant in the context of the first century was absolute poverty. In other words, if you were referred to in this context as poor in the first century, you had nothing. And so what that would mean for you if you lived in the first century, you couldn't supply any of your own needs. You couldn't do anything to help yourself. You had to totally rely on someone else to help you. You had to beg or you had to steal in order to survive. And if you didn't do those things, if someone didn't help you on some level, you would die. That's what poverty meant back in the first century. But Christ says you're spiritually poor. Now to say someone is spiritually poor is very similar to talking about physical poverty. Because to be spiritually poor means that we acknowledge that we need the Lord for everything. One writer said it like this, if you're spiritually poor, you are a beggar before the Lord. Lord, I can't do anything on my own. I need you. I can't walk through tomorrow, Father, without you. I can't make it through this moment without you. I can't walk into work tomorrow without you. I can't deal with this situation without you. Without you in my life, Lord, my finances won't work. My job won't work. My marriage won't work. Father, I'm begging you because I can't do it myself to speak truth into my life. See, someone who is spiritually poor relies on the Lord for everything. But here's our problem. Men... We don't like to rely on anybody else for anything, do we? We can do it ourselves. We're men. We're strong, right? We work hard. We earn a good living. We can take care of our family. We can take care of ourselves. Lord, I appreciate the offer, but I got this. Some of you are familiar with Ted Turner. Ted Turner is native to the city of Atlanta and is a multimillionaire, maybe a billionaire now, I don't know. He owned the Braves for a period of time. Ted Turner is known for saying some pretty inflammatory things, especially about Christianity, if you've never heard him speak. And he said something a few years ago that I remembered as I was preparing for this sermon, and I went back and looked to find the quote, and here's what Ted Turner said. He says, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. It's a religion for losers. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> See, Ted Turner believes that if you're really a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're weak. Ted Turner believes that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, in his own words, you're a loser. Now, he certainly meant that statement in a derogatory way. But I think if we think through it a little bit, if we're honest with ourselves about who we ought to be in Christ, if we think about this in sort of an upside-down way, he's kind of right, isn't he? Because Christianity is for the weak. So the person that recognizes I am spiritually bankrupt. And Father, I can't do anything without you. I thought I was strong enough. I thought I was smart enough. I thought I could handle it, Lord. But I need you in this situation. See, faith in Christianity is for the poor, right? In spirit. It's for the mournful. It's for the meek. It's for those that are persecuted, but man, isn't that upside down from what the world says? The world says you can do it, you can be strong, you don't need anybody, handle it yourself. But Christ says the person who can figure out how to rely on God for everything, that's the person that's truly blessed. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now secondly, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now there's this progression here that's very interesting. If you study through the Sermon on the Mount, you begin to see that there's kind of this progression that Christ is building. We begin with this idea of poor in spirit. We need to rely on the Lord for everything. And here's what we begin to understand. The more we rely on the Lord for everything, the more we begin to see His power. And the more we begin to see His glory. And the more we begin to see His holiness. And the more we recognize His holiness. And the more we recognize His glory. And the more we recognize His power, the more we understand that we are utterly nothing before Him, right? As you grow in your walk with Christ, you begin to realize something very clear. It's a real little principle, it's a real simple principle of Christianity. He is God and you are not, right? And the quicker we learn that, I think the more blessings we're going to receive. Isaiah chapter 6 paints this very interesting picture for us. Isaiah the prophet gets a glimpse, the Bible tells us, of the Lord sitting on the throne. The Bible says that the Lord is sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. And Isaiah 6, 5 lets us into the thoughts, just briefly of Isaiah, after he's seen Christ, after he's seen the Lord on high. And here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 6, verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah saw the Lord in all of his glory, Isaiah maybe for the first time recognized his own sinfulness. And he recognized that the Lord was holy and he was not. I am a man that's lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Woe is me. See, the mourning that Christ speaks of here in this beatitude in verse 4. The mourning that Christ is helping us to understand is not just a mourning of external circumstances, although that could be a case, but more specifically, it's a mourning when we recognize the Lord's power and we recognize our sinfulness and we see that it's our sinfulness that has separated us from the holiness of God that should lead us to mourn. We should feel sorry and repentant. Father, forgive me that I have made these mistakes. Forgive me that I've done these things, Father. Forgive me. I repent for my sins, Father. I recognize that these things have separated from a holy God. I recognize that I've I've got to ask for forgiveness for my sins to get back into right standing with you, Lord. I recognize my sinfulness and I mourn over that sin. But here's the problem of the world that we live in today. As much as we'd like to talk about mourning as much as we would like to talk about repentance, we are far too accustomed to sin in our world and in our lives. Sin, if we were very honest, in our society is often glamorized, isn't it? You say, I'm not sure what you mean, Adam. Well, just turn on a television show and just watch how the things that they do, very sinful according to the teaching of Scripture, are laughed at on the television show. Sex outside of marriage is no longer sin. It's just a cool thing to do, right? Everybody's doing it. It's fun. There's no harm in it. It's glamorized on TV. A life of drug use or alcohol abuse, those things are fine now. 
A life led outside of the teaching of the will of God. All those things are okay. And so we see those things and we watch them so often we become accustomed to them. And then we begin to laugh at them. And then we let them into our lives and we don't even understand the truth about sin. See, the world says that sin is fun and that it's cool and that everybody's doing it. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Those are worlds apart, aren't they? Those are worlds apart. You see, we laugh at sin. We enjoy sin. We embrace sin until it consumes us and we are ruined. Because that's where sin leads. See, alcohol may seem cool until it causes you to make a mistake that affects the rest of your life. Then it's not so fun anymore. Adultery may seem alluring until it consumes you and you lose everything and are ruined. A life of sin may seem appealing until you walk down that path and you see eventually the fun wears off, the excitement wears off, the glamour wears off, and you are ruined. See, Christ says you're blessed if you can mourn over your sin. You're blessed if you can see it for what it truly is. You're blessed if in the midst of that sinfulness you can repent and seek Christ. John Stott, who's one of my favorite authors, said this. There is not enough sorrow for sin among us. Let's bring this a little closer to home. Let's step on some toes just for a second. It's very easy for us to see everybody else's sin, isn't it? Oh, did you see what? Did you see that? I don't think that's biblical. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're honoring Christ and what they. I don't think that action was honoring to Christ. Do you see where our society's going? You say, I mean, can you believe all these television shows? Can you believe all the problems that? Can you believe all the mistakes people are making? And we sit back, and it's very easy for us to survey the landscape of the world and to recognize everybody else's sin, to see what everybody else is doing, to see all the other problems of the world. But here's the truth of the scripture as Christ gives it to us. Our mourning for sin ought to begin in our own lives. Before we worry so much about the lives of others. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. I have no hesitation in asserting that the failure of the church to have a greater impact upon the life of men and women in the world today is due entirely to the fact that her own life is not in order. <laughs> See, we should be grieving sin in our own lives. We should be mournful of our own mistakes. If we're truly going to reach the world for Christ, we need to start with ourselves. Blessed are those that mourn. For they will be comforted. Now verse 5. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Now it's interesting because these first two beatitudes have been very personal to us. I can be poor in spirit on my own without you being involved. I can mourn for my sinfulness on my own without you being involved. So there's this sense here that I can, I can walk through these first beatitudes individually, personally, keeping the world at arm's length. But when we get to this Third one, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. It moves beyond the private because in order to be meek, we need to engage with others, right? 
It's hard to be meek all by yourself. You have to be meek in the context of community around other people, around other believers, around other unbelievers. Now I want to define meekness for you simply like this. There are all kinds of words we could use for it. Humbleness, submission. But meekness can be defined like this. It's a humble and gentle attitude with respect towards others. It's simply this. To be meek means that we put other people ahead of ourselves. To be meek means that I say this to you. You are more important than me. What you need is more important than what I need. Now you say, wait a minute, Adam. That's kind of opposite of what the world teaches, right? That's kind of upside down. And yet if we spend time in Scripture and we study some of the great people of Scripture, the men and women of Scripture, Abraham and Moses and David, we see time and time and time again that they were interested in putting others ahead of themselves, right? And that's how Christ lived his life. We see that over and over and over again in the life of Christ. It wasn't about what Jesus wanted. It was about what his Father in heaven wanted. It wasn't about his own will. It was about the Father's will. It wasn't doing what was best for him personally. It was doing what was best for others. And so we read, for example, in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, we're commanded, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Boy, that's upside down, isn't it? Let each of you look not on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. Watch what he did. This is Jesus. He, this is Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on the cross. See, for Christ, his meekness and his humility drove him to death. It drove him to look beyond his own needs. It's the idea of, Lord, I'm so willing to follow you. I'm so willing to do your will that I'm going to make myself meek. I'm going to make myself humble. I'm going to put other people ahead of you for your honor and for your glory. Now, we've been talking about missional living the last couple of weeks. And I've said this is kind of be our theme for the upcoming year, 2014. Just imagine if you started living your life like this. Kind of watch this progression. Imagine if you were poor in spirit, right? And you begin to recognize that you're nothing before the Lord. Imagine if that drove you to mourn your sinfulness. Father, forgive me for I'm unworthy. I'm a man of unclean lips. And as you begin to see Christ for who he is and you begin to mourn, you begin to recognize that I need to put other people ahead of myself. That's what the world teaches. That's what the, the scripture teaches. And if I'm going to begin to live my life for Christ and mourn my sinfulness and be meek and put other people ahead of myself, guess what it's going to cause me to do? It's going to cause me to live a mission of life, isn't it? Because no longer am I so concerned about what I need, I'm a lot more concerned about what my neighbor needs. And Lord, as, as hard as this is going to be for me, I'm going to be blessed if I'll be meek. If I'll put that guy ahead of myself, Lord, I will be blessed. If I'll seek you over my own desires, I will be blessed. If I'll reach out in the name of Christ to this person that is desperate... If I'll make myself humble and submit myself to you, Lord, if I'll be meek, then I will be blessed. That's what the scripture says. Blessed are the meek. Not blessed are the strong. Not blessed are the ones that look after their own interests. See, the world tells you if you'll just look after yourself, then you'll be blessed. That's the opposite of what Christ says. 
Christ says, you need to turn all that upside down. You need to be meek. You need to live for others. And so I've, I've challenged our church, and I'm going to continue to challenge you with this. I hope it's something you talked about this week. I've challenged you this upcoming year to be missional in the way you live. Be a missionary every moment of every day, looking out for other people. What are the needs around you? How can you reach out in the name of Christ? How can you love people in the name of Jesus? One of the very clear things we gave you and one of the things you can begin to do in your home, I told you to pray about and think about, is on a regular basis, I'm going to challenge every family in this church to bring an unbeliever into their home and have dinner with them. That could be monthly, that could be quarterly, a few times a year. However the Lord leads you, it's between you and the Lord. But guess what? You've got to eat, and guess what? Your neighbor's got to eat. Why don't you do it at the same time? Not rocket science. We're not asking you to go to the square with a Bible and a megaphone and preach the book of Romans. You can if the Lord calls you. Please tell me when you do. I'd love to see it. I really would. I'm just calling you have dinner with a friend. That's all we're asking you to do. Be, be missional. Begin to notice all the normal things you're doing in your life and figure out how you can make those things missional. Because we're going to live for Christ, we've got to put others ahead of ourselves. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now verse 6 as we finish up this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be filled. Now one of our greatest needs in this world is food and water, right? You can do a lot of things and live a lot of years without certain things. You don't have to have all the things that we have. But if you remove food, and especially if you remove water, you're only going to live for a few days. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever had a chance to fast. If you haven't, I'll encourage you to do that. I think fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines that's taught very clearly. In fact, we're going to come up on it in the Sermon on the Mount. Christ teaches it. But if you've ever fasted, you understand that basically you set aside food for a period of time so that you can deepen your walk with Christ, whether that's through prayer or study or however the Lord leads you. But here's the thing you begin to understand about fasting. The longer you go without food, the more aware you are that you haven't eaten. And the more aware you become that you haven't eaten, the hungrier that you are. And for me, at least, in the times that I've done it, the longer I go, it almost as if I'm kind of fighting against this desire for food. It's like the only thing I can think of. It's like when you're super thirsty and you need water, it's kind of the only thing that you're thinking of. It kind of drives you to go get water. There may be other pressing things, but you need some water, right? You're thirsty. Christ says we ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the same way. You ought to be desperate for the things of Christ. You ought to be desperate for his word. You ought to be desperate for a life that brings him honor and glory. You ought to do everything you can to know him and to experience him and to live a life that is honoring to him. Charles Spurgeon, many of you have read before, says this. This man is blessed in the presence of this hunger. Many meaner hungers die out. One master passion like Aaron's rod, swallows up all the rest. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness, and therefore he is done with the craving of lust, with the greed of avarice, with the passion of hate, with the pining of ambition. See, we see that if we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we'll seek to serve the Lord and to do His will in all things, all these other hungers will slowly begin to fall away. But there's an interesting thing Christ says here. As we finish this up, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Filled. So let's back into this a little bit. Are you filled of the Lord? Do you find joy in the things of the Lord?
Do you understand that the Lord is working in your heart? Do you enjoy the peace of the Lord? Do you enjoy the love of the Lord? Are you, are you filled with His Spirit on a regular basis? Because if you're not, then it becomes very clear you must not be hungry and thirsty for His righteousness. See, if you're living a life that you just feel like is empty and void of the Lord, maybe you need to spend more time in hunger and thirst for His Word. Maybe you need to spend more time hungering and thirsting for His righteousness, for His prayer for the things that he's done for us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, those are the tests that we must apply. If we're not enjoying these things, the only explanation of that fact is that we're not truly hungering and thirsting after righteousness. For if we do hunger and thirst, we shall be filled. There's no qualification at all. There's no absolute statement. It's an absolute promise. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So the question is, are we filled of the Lord? Or do we need to spend more time deepening our walk with Him? You know, the Lord is calling us to something more. He's calling us to a life lived upside down from what the world says is true. And He says... In our minds, at least, crazy things in this text. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. Really? You're blessed when you mourn. You're blessed when you're meek. You're blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's kind of an upside-down way of looking at the world. But Christ says you've got a very clear choice. You can either find joy in the things of the world, or you can find joy in the things of Christ. And I'll promise you this as I finish. He's got a plan for you. And the world is going to promise and promise and promise and promise. And ultimately, they're never going to be able to deliver on ultimate joy. Why? Because it only comes through Christ. And if we're going to be blessed, we need to do things differently. We need to live upside down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Again, it's clear and it's understandable. And it's very compelling and challenging, Father. Help us to see life in a, in a different way. Help us to see, Lord, that one group of people may be screaming one thing, Father, but the scripture is clear. We need to be different. We need to see things upside down, Father. We, we need to hunger and thirst. We need to mourn. We need to be poor in spirit. We need to be meek, Father. Not because it makes sense to the world, but it makes sense to you, Lord. And that's how you've called us to be. So I pray, Lord, you would just work in our hearts. I pray you would convict us and challenge us and change us through this study. Father, I pray you do a mighty work through us and among us for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for a couple of minutes if you want to come and pray at the altar. If you want to repent of your sins, accept Christ. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.